I have the uh, out of context summary for this chapter. Yeah. Chapter three. Well, actually, yeah. it's for the episode. In this episode, we trade women like they're cattle. We learn that urine tastes exactly as you would expect it to. And we become a sugar daddy. Should go straight to it. So the opening scene. All right. So we are now in Sotenbury. And in this introductory scene, we're following some businessmen who are visiting a club called Cabaret Grand. One of them is nervous about Yakuza being around and then mentions an organization called the Omi Alliance. But the other businessman isn't worried at all. And eventually they get seated and they're having a good time. And then another guest starts getting a, getting a little grabby with one of the hostesses. And then a waiter comes over and asks him to stop. But he, like, just palms his face and smashes his head into the ground. And at this point, the two businessmen that we were following earlier, the calmer one, is like, don't worry, like, he'll come handle it. And then enters the new character. We don't immediately learn his name, but his name is Majima. And so he enters to handle the situation. And we learn that he's the manager of the Grand, and then his demeanor is really calm it's very polite even though like a waiter's face just got pushed into the floor Majima mentions his policy of the customer is king and that he won't ever raise a hand against him and at that point the uh the grabby guest pours champagne over Majima's face he just says oh I love I've always loved this brand I wish I could have like I always wish I could have showered in it and that just pisses the grabby customer off so much. And he grabs an ice pick and is going to, like, really attack Majima. And then that just sort of starts a training sequence on dodging. At the end of the fight, instead of calling the cops on this guy, he, he'll just have him pay for everyone's drinks for the night. So basically, instead of escalating an issue further, potentially... He gets more sales for the night. And then everyone's impressed. The two businessmen are super impressed. And then Majima walks out. And that's when we learn his his real name and his nickname, which is the Lord of the Night. So um, it's so funny that when you said something about Majima's entrance, I used the word politeness in my notes, too. Mm -hmm. Because that's really what it feels like is that he's very, very polite. And I think the politeness that he shows makes the other people even more of an a-hole. Like, no matter who's in the right or who's in the wrong, Majima's politeness will always make like the other person's wrong. It's sort of like yeah. that, um, I don't know, it's always a good strategy when someone's just being a jerk to mm -hmm. just be super nice back to them. That's it's like the kill them with kindness. Yeah, that's always my favorite strategy because then they're like, what? Why is this not working? Why are they not getting mad? And this is mm -hmm. a, just a perfect example of that. Yep. Kill them with kindness. And that also kind of reminds me of... Similar to Kirio's style is that he's always just on the defense side. He's not going to initiate and fight someone with that reason. Can we get... Real quick, you just gave me mm -hmm. a talking point. Address yes. the immediate differences between their two characters Kiryu I mean we've had two chapters mm -hmm. with him so maybe it's not a fair comparison so far but what we've seen from him is that he's 
trying to be in control, but he's really not. He doesn't know what he's doing, but by comparison, Majima seems very, like, it seems scripted. This isn't the first time it's happened. We know that. So he seems very well-equipped and well-practiced at handling these situations. So it's just a, a difference right off the bat is someone who's not sure what they're doing versus someone who knows exactly what they're doing. That's a good point because the so, when something big like that happens, Majima is totally calm, in control, knows what's going on. Versus Kiryu, when he found out about the murder of the guy, he's just in shock and he's just going on first reaction. He's not listening in everyone. And maybe it's a difference of experience. Again, I, I'm not too sure about the age difference, but Majima seems like he's seen so much and experienced so much in the world. While Kiryu is kind of, he's still mm -hmm. a baby. And although neither of them are in the Yakuza, one definitely seems more green with everything and then even just the reactions from people around them Kiryu's just he's being blamed for things and on the other hand Majima's being applauded and yes I so funny the next point is that uh Kiryu and Majima have different personalities and if you think about it Majima uh, says for your own safety I'll hold on to this and it just shows it's it's the way he's talking has a skill to it of twisting what's actually happening into something that's very polite. He turns into, I'm taking it for your safety. And it's not even about his own safety. It's about the other guy's safety. Yeah, and it's almost even like being polite, but just with a, a hint of like <laughs> being condescending. But it helps them both save face though. So yeah. that's the difference between Kiryu and Majima is Kiryu does things without caring about how others see it. Majima does it for both himself and for the other person to be able to save face. Mm-hmm. It just, it seems like he's holding back. Like, he's being polite mm -hmm. and choosing not to fight. But you can tell just by the way he's acting, like, he's holding back. He has more. And then we see that when the guy comes at him with the ice pick. He just grabs it and flips the guy over like it's nothing. So let's describe his intro a little bit more. It's kind of interesting because they're kind of introducing him before we even see him with uh, the one businessman who's in the know about him and then saying, like, he'll come handle it, you know, him. Um, sorry, I'm drinking a Baja Blast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Are you having Taco Bell? Yeah, I know. We were just talking about how horrible it was. Um, so even before we meet his character, we feel like we know a little bit about him. We just know this guy is impressive and he has impressed a lot of people. And then the first time we see him, we see his shoes, which are iconic. And then it keeps like we just keep seeing more of him. All of a sudden there's a ponytail. And then it's like, oh my gosh, there's an eye patch too. Like, <laughs> But he's wearing a tux. So then we see him and we're like, okay, this is the guy everyone's been impressed with. And then, you know, we see the scene, we see how he interacts, and I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about his overall character so far, but just, he seems mysterious. It just feels like there's something more going on with him. And there's something about this camera angle always looking at shoes. It is interesting. They, they usually, they like to start character introductions from the shoes. <laughs> we saw the mm -hmm. same thing with Oda. That's like the whole checking someone out. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're just doing it for us. They know. So now Majima walks out of um, a back door of the Grand onto a little balcony and notices this homeless guy with a cart just staring up right at him and not breaking eye contact, not even blinking. It's pretty creepy. But he doesn't seem, like, surprised. He seems more just, like, annoyed. I don't really know what the emotion is that he's feeling, but he sees the guy and doesn't seem surprised, and then he just flicks his cigarette and walks back inside. The expression seems more of irritation. Um, yeah. Or more... or it's, it's a mix... It's when you net it, it becomes like zero, but you have on one end, he's irritated and annoyed, but other end, he seems resolved that he's not going to do it. It's like, it's pretty final. There's nothing I could do about it. But those two opposite reactions bring it down to like a neutral reaction, Mm -hmm. but he feels both of them at the same time. Yeah. It's almost like, um, he wanted to flip him off, (laughs) but instead he just flicks the cigarette in his direction while kind of looking at Mm -hmm. him unimpressed. So yeah, maybe he, again, he's using restraint there. You kind of get worried. I remember watching it the first time. It's kind of stressed about who this guy was. Yeah, uh, I, maybe we should address it a little bit more. Yeah, because this guy, it just, it's it's like, why is this guy so important that we need his own scene in this game? That's true. Who is he? Why is he staring at? Why does he look so realistic? So creepy. Yeah, I feel like the scene is more important than maybe we first give it credit for. It's important for us to see this guy, this guy looking at Majima. But then it's also just a contrast to what just happened. He was just basically putting on a performance and handling that situation. And then he comes out for a smoke and he's just subdued, doesn't say anything, looks kind of irritated, like you said, and then just goes back inside. So was what just happened performance that handling of the situation did that take more out of him than it appeared but i also at the same time knowing how strong he is the fact that he can just defend himself and everything i don't think that's the struggle i think he's just probably irritated of his life he's probably done the whole flipping and defending the customer and getting dunked with (laughs) alcohol probably many times and he's probably just tired of it, but we don't know why he keeps that. Why isn't he ambitious enough to move on? I feel like we're going to get to know more at that very moment of watching it. I feel like there's some questions floating around and we need some answers and we're going to hope that they give us answers. The whole conversation, again, putting a front to his image of being very f- formal, polite and everything, but on the inside... He seems there's more, there's a lot of depth to him. So you have that top layer. He's polite. He's not very, I wouldn't say fake, but he has that politeness that most people typically don't have. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's part of being a manager. And then you go a step further in and you realize that he can really fight. He is strong. The fact that he saw some stranger and isn't feeling threatened, you know, he's a lot stronger than what we know. And you take it a further step in of his inner dialogue. And he's just he's just a chill guy on the inside. He has some extra thoughts. We don't know if we're going to see another layer to him. But that's the third layer deep. She's kind of like peeling back an onion. Yeah, he seems really complex. The floor manager comes back to find 
Majima and says that there's a customer who's taking advantage of having their tab paid for the night. Majima is led to this guest who's taking advantage. And as soon as he sees who it is, he just sighs. So it's pretty clear that he recognizes him and is a little irritated to see him. So he asks this customer to speak in private. And then (laughs) the customer refers to him as Mr. Eyepatch Manager, which seems kind of disrespectful. (laughs) So then they go to a back room or a break room. At some point, Majima refers to him as Sagawa. And so it's pretty clear now that they know each other. And then we learn that this is actually supposed to be Majima's punishment for something. This is when we find out that Majima was, at some point, in the Yakuza in some way. And then we get officially introduced to Sagawa, who is the retainer to the 5th Omi Alliance chairman. Majima brings over this case and says, you'll have your 100 million by next month. And so from conversation, we learn that amount will essentially buy him back into the Yakuza. But then Sagawa sort of pulls a fast one and says he wants another 500 million. And at that point, Majima gets pretty angry, which is fair enough, and he's about to punch him in the face, but he stops just short of actually hitting him. And we learn that if he did hit him, that it would just be bad. He'd go back into the hole, which we're not sure what that is yet. So it seems like Saga is definitely controlling him to a very deep extent. And then Sagawa asks him, would you do anything to get back in the game? Referring to the Yakuza, would you even do a hit? Majima doesn't really react. He doesn't really say anything. He seems surprised. And then Sagawa's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. And then right as he's about to leave, he sort of drops another annoyance bomb on Majima and says that he took the number one hostess from the Grand for another club. Don't let profits slide here. I wonder if Sagawa has done this. He's pulled a fast one to Majima multiple times. Has he all of a sudden said, oh, by the way, um, give me $50 million more or give me $28,000 more. I wonder if he's ever done that to Majima before. And Majima shows so much restraint to not punch him in the face, to constantly keep his tone leveled. If Sagawa's only here for the money or is he really here for Majima's future does he know something is he acting like the bad guy just to keep Majima safe does he like think of Majima as his own son or is he just doing this for the money we don't we don't really know anything about Sakawa everything we know about him is so shallow and just the facts not really what's going on in the details Mm -hmm. so I wonder whose best interest does he have at heart is he doing it for the alliance? Is he doing it for Majima? Is he doing it for himself? Is he doing it for um, perhaps someone that's just near and dear to his heart? Yeah, it's it's hard to get a read on what he thinks of Majima. On one hand, he seems impressed by him. But on the other hand, he seems like he's just toying with him. You know, by saying, get me more money. I'm taking the number one hostess, but don't let profit slide. It seemed, and then just like, making a joke about a hit. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel bad. And first impressions is we don't know if he's trustworthy or not. We don't know anything about him. 
And he, again, similar to Majima putting that front up, he seems happy, seems jolly, but again, we don't know anything. Can he fight? Is he evil? Is he going to backstab Majima? We don't know. So Kiryu and Majima are very similar in, in the way where they're both willing to do what it takes mm-hmm. so far besides to kill someone. Kiryu was willing to pretty much leave the Yakuza to protect Kazama without second thinking anything. And Majima is actually willing to do by pretty much being imprisoned here and, and earning that money just to get back into the Yakuza. They're going in opposite directions. Kiryu leaving the Yakuza and Majima trying to get back into it. By the end of the day, they're both willing to do something and to suffer for it just for something else. Majima, we don't know if it's for a person or anything. We, we need to know more information. But uh, Kiryu's doing it for Kazama. But also, to some extent, they're both being like controlled by someone. Kiryu's is a bit more by choice um, because he feels indebted to Kazuma, but he's still like making every decision based off of him. And then Majima is making every decision based off of Sagawa, who's just controlling him. So they're both being controlled by someone, making decisions because of someone, but there's just a little bit different reason as to why and how. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, can you hear the frogs in the background? I my windows open. It's like mating season, <laughs> and the frogs are going wild outside. I don't think so. I don't think so either, because the audacity isn't picking up the sound, but I can hear it out beyond by noise-canceling headphones. It's weird. I feel like I so, hear it when you're talking a little bit. Is it probably... Maybe if I make really small sounds, can you Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do hear it. Right? I think the mic is doing a good job where it's not picking up loud. It's not going to pick up background noise, which is great. When I'm talking, it's capturing it all. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, the frogs aren't, I don't know, cricketing? What, what's Ribbiting. the right? Ribbiting. Croaking. All right. So, scene three. After Sagawa leaves, the floor manager... Uh, walks up to Majima again and they talk about the number one hostess being snatched from the club and that's when Majima forms a plan to uh, poach the number one hostess in the city from a club called Odyssey so he heads over to Odyssey and then right when he's outside of the entrance he's like oh I better go in undercover and (laughs) his disguise it's just sunglasses. If he's so well known in the nightlife business, you would think that he'd, he'd think of a better disguise. I mean, I guess he took his bow tie off too. So he's got no bow tie and he's got sunglasses on. Seems like a weak disguise to me. Well, Superman, Clark Kent, just a pair of glasses and all of a sudden, bam, he's different than <laughs> Superman and seems like... Put a cap, put glasses on, and you're a whole changed man. It's true, but it's like... But Majima's still in the same industry. Well, I mean, Batman would still probably recognize (laughs) whether or not he had glasses. Exactly. So he gets into the club and starts scoping the place out. At which point, I feel like we need to mention the... uh, The air humper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what else to call him. The air humper. 
is. With diapers. Are they diapers or are they just tidy whities Uh, I feel like. I feel like because I thought because he can get drunk easily, he's wearing <laughs> diapers. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> I don't know which it is. That should that should maybe not be what bothers us about this. The fact that he's there and he's not arrested. There's a man in nothing but. Oh, is he wearing socks too, or is those shoes? How's he not a, okay. arrested what for, is, like, public decency? I know, and I don't know why it's so much creepier and more gross if, like, you keep your socks or shoes on. It. I mean, how do you get your pants off without having to take off your shoes and socks? Yeah, your socks just always, they always get caught up in the pant legs. Exactly. Whether you want them off or not, they're coming off. <laughs> He's just in the back of the club with socks and then either tidy whities or a diaper take your pick Mm. and he's just like i mean he's humping the air like i don't know (laughs) he's He's dancing disturbing um and then when majima notices that he goes what the shit is that i remember playing watching it and you're just like waiting for my reaction you're just waiting for me to watch that part i i can't handle the socks why did he not take off his socks Okay, moving on, though. Hmm? So then he's just sitting with the hostess that was assigned to him in the club, just kind of trying to get a a layout of the situation. Pretty soon, the manager of the Odyssey, whose name is Yamagata, comes up to Majima, who uh, his disguise did not fool him. He, He immediately knows who he is. He asks the hostess to leave so that they can talk. And he assumes correctly that Majima is trying to poach the number one girl, Nozomi. And they end up, like, making a trade. Basically, Nozomi for a few girls from the Grand and 10 million. Just feels kind of icky. They're just, like, (laughs) trading women. Especially when you value one more than yeah. others, like one plus person ten million, <laughs> multiple. I know, right? Although I guess it's just kind of like basketball. I was just about to say the same thing with basketball assigning value to guys. Yeah, one person for these two players and cash considerations. It's exactly the same it's, thing. It kind of is, but somehow this seems, uh, yeah, different. Mm. Although I mean, maybe maybe Nozomi's happy to get out of there. She's like, thank. God, I don't have to get air humped from across the room by mm-hmm. this creep on the stairwell in his well, socks. the guy makes eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it feels a little weird, but I mean, I guess it's just like basketball. So after making this exchange at Odyssey, Majima calls the club and says that he snagged Nozomi, and then he decides to head home for the night, and... Right when he's about to reach his apartment, he gets confronted by some thugs who are in some way associated with Odyssey. They're not happy about the deal that sent Nozomi away, even though the manager signed off on it. And they sort of insult Majima for his whole customer's king policy and that he sort of, you know, plays the servant a lot. But they, they definitely miscalculated here. Majima makes it pretty clear, like, we're not at my club. 
you're not my customers. And so he's happy to fight them, and he destroys them. And then he just heads inside. His demeanor changes again. He seems tired. I think he seems just tired here. He's not really irritated or annoyed anymore. I feel like maybe he let off some of that steam by beating up these guys. So he takes off his coat and walks over to the window and is smoking a cigarette. And looking out the window, we see multiple people watching him, including that same bum with the cart from earlier. They're everywhere, and they're all clearly staring at him. And then he says, The city's a prison. How long until I'm free of these walls? Huh, brother? And so at this point, we know there's somebody on his mind. And the other thing is that the title of this episode is... What was it? Uh, a Gilded Cage. cage. Okay, yeah, yeah. The Gilded Cage. And the cage is essentially a prison. And this is the city. So ties back to the title of this chapter. But one of the things I wrote down is don't underestimate him. And that's what we've been talking about. There's so many layers of him. He's working in the one place that's completely opposite of him, of something so bright and shiny. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've seen him interact with a customer, with a higher-up, with mm-hmm. equals, and with people below him. So we've really seen him in a variety of situations and in a variety of positions, I guess. And so you can see just how like versatile he has to be, even in just his, his punishment, his day-to-day life. And I think the... Well, that part is the brother part, wondering what kind of brother. He needs He needs something to cling on to. And it's so funny that we leave on a note where he's barely clinging on to hope versus Kiryu lost at all hope at one point until he meets um, Tashibana. But before that, Kiryu pretty much lost all hope, especially getting kicked out and knowing that everything he did was pointless. He was at the end of his rope and Majuma's getting close so I just wanted to touch some more on what you were talking about with the the chapter title I was pretty mm-hmm. sure I knew what gilded meant but I decided to give it a an old google search just in case um and according to google gilded is to be covered thinly with gold leaf or gold paint it's the perfect description for Majima because his life literally is he's He's in a cage. He says the town is a prison. So he's in a cage, but then he's this well-known guy in a flashy industry making a lot of money. So he's like thinly covered in gold. You know, it's just painted. It'll chip off from the outside. He has this appearance of being successful. But then on the inside, he's really just in a cage. So it really is just the perfect description of his situation. But it's also Sotenbori, the entire place is gilded because it looks so popular fancy with all those bright and cheery music but we don't know beneath that is it really that great so it's not only just the cage is just for Majima we focused on him but the entire city is very shallow where you Mm -hmm. think it's just thinly gold it's so popular that's why the businessmen went there but we know it's not like that yeah there's creeps in their underwear and socks dry humping air humping hopefully dry (laughs) did we do it is that it (laughs) i think so so this is the 
past the calm before the storm. Exactly. This is, I don't, what do you call it? This is the chapter that just sets everything in, moment, in motion. It's like the mousetrap board game. You hit one thing and then right? everybody yes. scatters. <laughs> that that kind of is that. But it's also the first three episodes were the background and it's really slow. And so this is, this is it. This yeah. is, we're, we're at the top floor of a roller coaster where you're going up 60 feet and it's just kind of <laughs> taking you on that very top of a loop around and you know, any second you're ready to start plunging down 60 mi- miles per hour. Yeah, exactly. It's like the first four chapters are just foundation building for the mm-hmm. story. But after you get through that fifth chapter, like you cannot stop. I know. And good thing I was on PTM this entire time. Like you just, you didn't have a job anymore. Good thing yeah, we have like let's... six more games. <laughs> Right? <laughs> you need to take a lot of PTO. And so, should we jump straight into you doing a quick summary first before we start discussing it? Yeah. Chapter four, Proof of Resolve. The opening scene is a flashback to three years ago in Camarocho. And we meet Majima's sworn brother, Saijima. And it's pr- a pretty good guess that this is the brother that he was referencing at the end of the last chapter. It's clear that they're planning something involving a big bag full of guns, which Majima says was sourced through the Dojima family. So this confirms that he was once part of the Tojo clan. And this plan appears to be a hit on somebody named Ueno, who just got out of prison, and his clan, the Seiwa clan. And then we flash to another flashback within a flashback where someone named Shibata has called Majima to a meeting and tells him to not go ahead with the raid. But of course, Saijima is already at the location, so he says he's going to go, which directly defies the orders that he was just given. And as a result, he is captured and put into a torture room, torture, dungeon, whatever you want to call it. It is officially called The Hole. And... In his time here, we see that this is where he loses his eye, gets cut out. At the end of the scene, he asks about Saijima, but gets no answer. And then he wakes up uh, present day in a sweat, and it's clear that he's been dreaming and that this was a nightmare. If Shibata knew that that was going to happen, I that's part of my, one of my notes was just why didn't he stop Saijima? 1 versus 18, you're, <laughs> the odds are pretty slim on your end. Yeah. But he still was able to come out the winner, so it just goes to show how powerful he is. And how powerful eight guns are, or however yeah. many they had. <laughs> um, but no, that's a good point, because Shibata says, he doesn't say, like, we're not doing this. He says, the plan is problematic, so we're making a few minor changes. So that mm-hmm. almost makes you think they wanted Saijima to go into that alone. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that begs the question, you know, why, what is the plan here? What are these minor changes and what's the point of all of them? And I think we don't get those answered in this game, but we will in a later game. So this could be a, a future callback, a future thing to remember for that game. So I'm going to go into the, the tattoo analysis. Do you want to jump into that? Okay. Let's do it. So this is the first scene where we see Majima's full back tattoo He'll mention it later on in this chapter, and he calls it a Hanya, and describes it as a demon lady. I basically found, you know, the same thing. It's a demon lady. Uh, I found that she was once a human, but turns into a demon due to the pain caused by 
a betrayal. I found a few different meanings behind the Hanya itself, not necessarily its origin. One is that she's a jealous demon or that she's just returning for vengeance. And then specifically for tattoos of the Hanya, the strongest theme that I found in my research was ruthlessness. And I also learned that it is a popular tattoo choice of the Yakuza because of this meaning and that it's meant to sort of convey like the wearer of the tattoo. They're not going to show any mercy. All right. So after Majima wakes up, he says another shit night's sleep, indicating that he has these nightmares fairly regularly. And that's hinting at how much this incident is still affecting him to this day. And this kind of sucks. I mean, first we learn that his, his waking life is hell. He's in a prison. And now we learn that his non-waking life, his dreams are as well. So he has absolutely no freedom and no escape. I think to build on the fact that his life is pretty darn miserable, it's also that he has like a really bland life. If you look into his apartment, it's so drastically different than Kiryu's. There's not even like that kind of fridge with mm-hmm. alcohol bottles and instant ramen on top of your fridge. Yeah, his has like his apartment has signs of life. Majima's doesn't. It doesn't look lived in. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just this poor dude, you can't help but have sympathy for him. Knowing that he's suffering in the day, he's suffering at night, he is like a dead man walking. But he wakes up, he puts his tux back on, he heads to work where Sagawa calls him and asks him to meet for a drink. Uh, to which Majima responds that he'd rather down a mug of his own hot piss. And then Sagawa responds by saying that stuff tastes about as good as you'd think. I'm sorry, what? I don't get that. Has has he tried before? I mean, Majima's reaction, he he just sort of like, he doesn't say anything and just sort of furrows his eyebrows. And so I think we're supposed to met, like, we're meant to think he's, he's drank in pee-pee before. And it's so sassy of Majima, which is uh, pretty ironic because most of the time he's pretty straight-faced, but about Sagawa doing or saying whatever he did i also feel like it's an example of showing him that he's been in the yakuza a lot longer he's had so much more experience and he's witnessed so much more than majima so it kind of goes to show that don't pretend like you're so tough and everything i've Mm -hmm. i'm tougher than you in ways that you don't even think about all right so even though he really doesn't want to go majima heads to the meeting location anyway which is a food stand food counter in a park he doesn't want to be there he just sits and listens to Sagawa talk and refuses to take any drinks at this point until Sagawa starts talking about how he's tried expensive food but still prefers the inexpensive daikon at this food stand to which he says makes you wonder what the hell money even is and I noticed something after this quote Majima seems kind of caught off guard he makes a facial expression And then this is when he accepts a drink. But he still leaves Sagawa hanging on his cheers request. So he takes a drink but refuses to be, you know, like, drinking with him. He just needs a drink, I think. But he seems caught off guard by Sagawa's comment. And I'm wondering, is he kind of realizing or wondering that after what Sagawa just said, and the fact that he increased the buy-in price, is he thinking that no amount of money will get him back into the family? the first conclusion that I made but then now that you say that 
actually started thinking differently. I think it's the first glimpse of either humanity or that we... I, I don't know how to explain it. I think it's the first time Majima started to doubt whether he actually knew Sagawa in the mm. sense where he's always seen Sagawa as the enemy and he always thought that increasing the price and his prison is controlled by Sagawa. But if Sagawa is saying that what is like money has no value, yet he's still asking Majima to do it, I think it's the first time Majima is starting to see that maybe Sagawa isn't the enemy here. Maybe... And he doesn't even care about money. So maybe it's not him wanting to increase the price. Maybe it's someone else that's doing it through Sagawa. And me drinking, although I'm not cheersing to you, I'm drinking because we are all of a sudden um, on the same side of a penny. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. But I like it. Mm. I think just um, in general, I think he's confused. I don't know if you agree with that. Whether it's, I mean, it might be both. Like what? What does the money even mean that I'm giving you if you don't know what money is? And then also, like, why are you being so human right now? <laughs> if you don't care and I don't care, maybe we're more alike than what we think we are. Mm-hmm. And then through conversation, Sagwa mentions that the two of them met, met two years ago. Uh, so we know that this punishment of being stuck in Sotenburg running the Grand has been going on for two years. And we also learn that Sagawa and Shimano... Majima's patriarch are sworn brothers, but flying different colors. So Tojo versus Omi Alliance. And we also learned that Majima endured an entire year of torture in the hole. And at this point, Shimano let him out. But apparently it's unheard of for the, for anyone to come back from the hole. And this leaves Sawa wondering what Shimano is doing with Majima. He mentions that even though Majima was released and banished from the family, it was never a proper expulsion and then he was just pawned onto Sagawa so Sagawa doesn't really know like what exactly Shimano's plan is but I want to take a a deeper look at one of Sagawa's quotes being let out and forgiveness aren't the same thing and then that paired with his confusion of Shimano's handling of Majima one theory I came up with is Maybe since Majima wasn't breaking after a year of torture, Shimano thought that maybe a new form of torture would break him, and that that torture is life in Sotenbori, running the Grand. I don't know. What do you think Shimano's doing here? I was thinking that too, but I also think that Shimano doesn't exactly know either what he wants to do with Majima. Mm-hmm. I think he's just going to see him as someone who wants revenge so bad. I can use him... In the meantime, to be a cash cow, get all my money and everything. And while that is happening, uh, I'm going to figure it figure it out. I don't think he has a purpose quite yet. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows that Majima can carry out whatever he wants to do. And in the meantime, he'll just be earning cash for me. Yeah, maybe he's just kind of impressed by him that he's endured that much torture. Mm-hmm. Sagawa then asks why Majima is enduring so much punishment and why he's so desperate to get back into the Tojo clan. And at this point, he mentions Saijima and that Majima had previously mentioned he was doing this for him. And this is the point where we learn that Saijima, on his own, successfully carried out the raid and killed 18 men and is now serving a death sentence in prison. And then Majima says that he doesn't believe Saijima will die in prison despite the death sentence. He says... 
he's not the type to die behind walls. And then he says that he's he believes this because he thinks Saejima is coming to kill him. Why does Majima think Saejima is going to come kill him? And why is Majima working so hard to carve out a seat for him when he gets back? I do think that it's repayment that Majima felt so bad he couldn't be there with Sejima that he's going to do whatever he can to repay the favor of leaving his sworn brother to be in prison by himself, that he couldn't be there to protect him. But thinking that Sejima might come and kill him, I don't know if that really would happen, but I think it's a way of Majima just blaming himself. He's been in his own version of a prison and he constantly is feeling guilty in a way. He doesn't yeah. seem to have forgiven himself. But I don't know if Sejima would do that to Majima. But it's Majima's way of continuing to absorb that guilt. Yeah, guilt is what I landed on too. Um, guilt for Sejima serving a death sentence. Maybe even just like survivor's guilt. And I think he just needs Sejima to know that he didn't choose to abandon him. That he was just, he was sort of, I mean, he was held back. He couldn't go and he he needs to, on one hand, he needs Saejima to know that. And on the other hand, he still wants to make it up to him. Because now this man is serving a death sentence that should have been both of theirs. At this point, I want to go back to Majima's tattoo. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, the whole meaning behind the Hanya of, like, returning for vengeance... It fits Majima fairly well because he's he's sort of on like a quest, not necessarily for revenge or vengeance, but it is for someone that he cares about. But it's almost like Majima is afraid Saejima will act as the Hanya and come back for revenge. He seems fairly certain that Saejima is going to come back to kill him, considering from his perspective, it probably looks like Majima betrayed him and just left him for dead to carry out the raid on his own. Not that he needed Majima's help, first of all. Yeah, clearly not. <laughs> but um, he didn't make the tie to the tattoo, and I guess without having that backstory, it's pretty hard to know how those two, how that tattoo shaped him. But it also seems, it, it, if that really is the case, it's ironic because at that point, Majima already has the tattoo, like the outline. It probably wasn't filled in, I don't think. But he had that, so maybe that was destiny that he'll have to do that to his brother but i did want to in majima's defense just say that he is still in his own kind of prison that i know he wants to carve out a seat and apologize and i don't even know we don't even know if carving out a seat is enough for sejima right now mm-hmm. but besides the fact i mean the man lost an eye give him a break this guy has been working for I don't know how many years trying to like get how much money and also being watched at night, being mm-hmm. watched everywhere. He can't sleep. And it seems like he's repaid enough. And I hope if Sejima does come and find Majima, he recognizes that, that his brother also sacrificed a lot. So then Sagawa asks Majima, can you kill a human? And clearly Majima is reluctant when Sagawa asks him to do a hit, but then Sagawa reminds him that he can mess with the Grand's business, make it harder for him to earn the money to get back into the clan, and then he says that he has his future in his hands. And so he basically 
forces threatens Majima into accepting the hit as his way back into the clan. As I was watching this part, it made so much sense. And before this, I was wondering, what's the purpose of the whole, like, these girls having drama and then someone poaching one girl and then just focusing so much on, like, their scheduling. And it makes so much sense that that happened. Sagawa is pretty much saying that I played you because I want you to realize that all of a sudden my steady stream of income is going to take a hit and if I want to not take a hit on <laughs> someone then I need to earn more money and figure it out but then you also made me not be able to earn more money so I'm constantly being backed into a corner and I didn't realize that's why it was important for the previous episode to spend so much time on finding a way to keep the business going yeah exactly it showed us how hard he's being forced to work and that kind of mm -hmm. makes it make more sense as to why majima does accept eventually the hit he's pretty much saying that well you can make money but how long is it going to take you maybe in a few extra years yeah and, and i might just I double it again of, right and if i'm gonna poach one of your girls i might poach more of them poaching it sounds again like we're talking about animals and then I kind of want to go back to the last chapter, because Sagawa did say, oh, you would do anything to get back in, would you kill someone? But Sagawa said that it was just a joke, but now he's actually asking him to do it. So what was that conversation? Was he just putting feelers out to see if he thought Majima would do it? And then, kind of like what we were saying, did he increase the price of getting back in and relocate? I think her name was Noriko to push Majima closer to desperation for a way back into the Yakuza? Like, was that conversation just a gauge on Majima? I think two things. Either one, he was just trying to plant seeds to make Majima think about potentially needing to kill someone. And But on the other hand, it can also be him putting feelers out. Because if he says, hey, would you be comfortable killing someone? And Majima was like, yeah, I'll do anything. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. Then... His, his reaction would probably at that time be like, okay, you know what? Let's say you don't need to make this money, but you take out a hit from me. You said you're comfortable with it. Let's proceed. And then we learn that the name of the target for the hit is Makoto Makimura, who Sagawa says runs a prostitution ring and describes him as very violent and mentions that the women are essentially slaves. And then he gives him a deadline of two days to track him down and kill him. Otherwise, Majima is the one with the target on his back. And then at the end of this conversation, he warns Majima of the effects of committing murder and says, are you really capable of killing someone for your own agenda? And I'm wondering, does he realize in this moment when Sagawa is describing the effects that killing someone has, is he realizing what Saijiro must be feeling, what he has been feeling for three years? They're in different kinds of level. I mean, here you just try to kill one person and here he just killed 18. Mm -hmm. But I do think the difference, and it goes back to the theme, is unnecessary killing. But here you're you're starting to toggle between self-defense and intentionally killing someone. Which is ironic because in the beginning, Majima did want to go with Sejima to go kill some people. But this is the first time Majima is having that inner conflict of trying to justify why it's okay to kill someone. But here's something that I don't understand, and I think you kind of touched on it briefly. But in the flashback, Majima is ready, he's gung-ho, 
to go on this raid and kill a butt-ton of people with Saejima. But then he's very hesitant to kill one quote-unquote scumbag when Sagawa orders it. So why is it different? Is it, I mean, both are ultimately for the Yakuza. Is it because he just doesn't trust Sagawa? That's a really good question, and I haven't really thought about it until right now, and I'm just trying to justify it. But I do think the difference is he doesn't know people's intention. He knew his brother's intention. He doesn't know Sagawa's intention, especially knowing that Sagawa just played him and purposely poached the girl, making it difficult for him to earn money. Mm-hmm. He really has no reason to believe Sagawa and no reason to believe if he really takes on the hit, is he guaranteed a spot? Maybe he's guaranteed a spot as a janitor for the Yakuza. Like, he doesn't know and he has no reason to trust Sagawa. This will just be a burning question for me moving forward is just, why three years ago was he so ready to commit mass murder, but now he's very hesitant to murder one prostitution ring runner? At this point, I, I don't see an answer. Any more notes before? No. Nope. All right. We're ready for scene two. Not yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there is something Sorry. before we move on. I feel like we need to address it. Um, I might be overthinking it like I do with a lot of small details, but we just need to take a look at it. So moving back in the scene just a little bit, when Sagawa is discussing why Shimano is choosing such an unusual way of dealing with Majima, he makes a joke. Um saying oh maybe we're overthinking it maybe Shimano just can't get enough of and we're gonna say slapping Majima's ass just to keep it a little keep the verb a little more uh appropriate but you know what I'm talking about I thought I misread it (laughs) no (laughs) the first time I was reading I was like these people are like uh I think they left out a few letters or something that and I'm like wait a second and watching it again I'm like trying to justify that I'm misunderstanding (laughs) it Uh, so we'll, we'll just say slapping. Slapping his ass. But I noticed something this time after watching this entire scene. And I, I do think that we're meant to think it's a joke as the audience, but I, I'm I'm not so sure anymore. Just, okay, bear with me. <laughs> we're going to get real <laughs> analytical here, and it's for the stupidest reason. But just here we go, okay? So Majima is refusing to take a drink at first, right? Takes his first sip of sake. After Sagawa tells him about the meaning of money, to which he has a visual facial reaction. And then the scene kind of fades out, fades back in, and Sagawa says, you haven't touched your drink since the first swig. Until Sagawa makes this joke, he has not taken another sip. He makes this joke about the ass slapping. And Majima immediately takes another drink. And by the way, can I just say, we cannot trust Sagawa's jokes anymore. I mean, he did just joke about a hit in the last chapter, and now he's requesting an actual hit. So we cannot trust his jokes. Majima takes a drink for the third time when Sagawa mentions Saijima, and for a fourth time when Sagawa kind of nails why Majima is working so hard to get back into the clan, which has to do with Saijima. And we know from his nightmares that what happened with his sworn brother is still affecting him to this day. Then Majima takes one final drink after he accepts the hit job. Another impactful moment for him. So is Majima taking drinks when Sagawa mentions things that are true? And when those things have a significant impact on Majima? 
I thought about the significant impact, but then when you say that the truth in, it fits. It fits. It, it, that's what she said. But yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he takes a drink only four times. And every time it is something that like either we know is true or has a big impact on Majima. Did this actually happen to him? I feel like what happened in the hole, <laughs> it was for a hole, like, literally, and <laughs> like, Oh, God. <laughs> that's what they called it, like, where, where he was being tortured, right? I'm not now we know the meaning it. behind the name. I would have never picked that up, but now that you see it, I can't unthink it. Because it... I guess it's also the question, remember how we were talking about why is Shimano keeping him around? Is it that he has more use in addition to being a cash cow? E, I, I, yeah, that man has been through some stuff. Oh my I, I don't know. I don't know what's true here. I, the first four times I watched this scene, I was like, oh, he's just making another stupid joke. But then I realized his hit joke wasn't actually a joke. And then I realized he only takes four drinks during this whole scene and when he mentions this joke that was one of them Sagawa doesn't joke to be honest he everything he says is just like a almost like he's putting feelers out in a way where it's so jolly that you don't think of it as a joke oh gosh um I think <laughs> I'm, I'm like, reluctant to say <laughs> I think it happens my jaw dropped. I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. I'm, I'm just disappointed in myself for taking so much time to analyze the scene for this purpose and for typing out an entire paragraph on my findings. There, <laughs> there are better uses of one's time than figuring out if um non-consensual ass slapping was happening. But I, I did it. But I, I feel like we need to get revenge for Majima if this happened. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we should move on I... before we get stuck on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of still in shock. Let me process this. Cause I, I don't... Because you, you had time to process this between typing up your notes and everything. I'm just sitting here thinking that oh my god. <laughs> and that's exactly how I felt when I noticed the pattern. If you can see us right now, I am in shock right now. <laughs> Should we move on to this, the second scene? Yes, okay. please. I'm going to physically close my mouth right now. Okay, well, to end it, he accepts the hit. Well, he was threatened into it, essentially. Um, so he decides to start the hunt for Makimura the next day and heads to his apartment. And he wakes up the next morning. He's ready to start tracking him down. So he heads to the telephone club, as Sagawa had suggested. He eventually finds a college-aged woman named Ako, a demographic Sagawa said Makimura targets. And throughout this conversation, she asks Majima if he has any tattoos. And then he asks her if she has heard of Makimura, and she immediately gasps and says that she needs to go. But Majima is able to convince her to meet in person to talk about Makimura, and he pretends to be a freelance writer. So Majima meets up with Akko in his disguise again, his sunglasses, 
instead of his eye patch. And then he puts her at ease by pretending to be a celebrity. Uh, it works. I just, I don't think I understand Majima's undercover strategies. First of all, why would you tell someone your last name, your actual last name? <laughs> True. Majima's undercover and apparently a celebrity. And she is going to make him earn the information that she has. So they go get sushi and she reveals in this scene that Makimura isn't quite what Sagawa described. That the girls only get taken out to meals and that there's no prostitution involved. Next, they go to an arcade where she makes Majima, a.k.a. me, win her a squirrel thing. And then after winning her the prize, she convinces Majima to go to a disco club where she has already reserved the VIP room. And she says that they can talk about Makimura there. So now at the club, some guys threaten Akko. We learn... One of them dropped a pill in her drink the other day, and that Makimura came to the rescue. And then Majima confronts the guys, and they they fight. They have a dance battle outside. Whatever you want to call it, it's a tutorial for a third fighting style. And it was a pain in the ass. After the uh, dance fight, Akko reveals that Makimura is a chiropractor, and that Majima can find him at his office called Hogushi Kaikan and also reveals that Makimura asks all the ladies to tell him if they come across a guy with a bat tattoo. At this point, Majima has realized that Makimura is nothing like Sagawa described, but he says whether saint or scumbag, he's going to kill him. It's so funny that when... Majima is bidding that girl goodnight. He goes, make sure you drop in on mm-hmm. your parents or whatever. It's ironic how caring he is. Yeah, he's literally getting information out of this woman in order to kill someone. All right, so Majima arrives at the office, Hogushi Kaikan. He just, he bursts in, knife blazing, but no one's there. So he starts looking around a bit, and a few minutes later, he hears a woman arrive. And Majima doesn't say anything at first and hides the knife behind his back. He's within eyesight of her. So he kind of changes his tone, starts walking towards her with the knife at the ready. But then at this point, Majima realizes that she is blind. And instead, he tries to avoid her, but they end up bumping into each other. At which point, she freaks out, screams, and thinks he's a thief. Majima tries to calm her down and convince her that he's just a customer who wandered in. And so she offers to work on him, and accepting is pretty much the only way for him to convince her that he's not a thief, so Majima agrees. I remember watching this. She is so darn cute. I know. But, yeah, I, I do want to say, it's almost as if, like, oh, a bunch was a person in real life. <laughs> she's just, she's so cute. All right, so now she's giving Majima a massage and they're talking a bit about their jobs. The massage therapist says that she likes her job and says that her boss, who I mean is Makimura, turned her life around and that this job is the only reason she's made it this far. And that at some point Majima falls asleep, which is more proof that he's not sleeping because of these nightmares. This is the first time that we see Majima being able to sleep without a nightmare and we don't know if it's because of this massage therapist's presence yeah no but you make a good point like it's just him being able to talk to a normal person 
who's not involved in his situation, does that just put him at ease? I mean, I imagine it would. It would. It would put him... I think there's something about her that puts him at ease because he's... He was ready to kill someone here. He was ready to kill her. He started walking towards her with the knife. Yeah, but he he came in nice blazing thinking that he's going to kill Makoto in here and there's like no one here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 180 degrees, he's getting his back massage and and falls asleep. Yeah. And, And it's also that, but props to her for being... Despite being scared, she's still mm-hmm. going to ask, really, do you really need help? Let me let me still help you and everything. That she puts her customers' needs in and gives them the relief on their back pain, even though she was freaking out that there was a thief in that place. I did remember watching this the first time. I thought this was going to be Mashima's girlfriend. And I'm like, talk <laughs> well, about a Miku. Did you notice? We'll play it. I'll play it for you real quick. Did you notice, okay. like... So she offers him a massage, and then the scene mm. cuts away, and then it pans back. We they're around a corner, and we don't see them, um, but we we hear we hear them, and it oh, sounds yeah. a little oh, yeah. a little suspicious. Like the scene right before we see that he's laying on the bed and just getting a back massage. Yeah, I'll play it for you now, and we'll add, we'll add the audio in. Okay, fair warning if anyone's listening to this at at all, but at a school. Or workplace. Just, it's gonna, you, you just might want to mute it. Alright. Here we go. <laughs> she even says you're stiff. Yeah. Okay. That was not an accident. They did that on purpose. Yes, First thank all, you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's intentional. And now you tie it back to the whole uh, the, the slapping part before with Sago <laughs> I was joking slash not joking about. And then the next thing you know, between that and, and this one and making these kind of sounds, I'm like... We warned you in chapter two that this game can get horny. Yeah. Here we go. And Exhibit A. Yeah. Or ex- is it B? Or is the other one Exhibit B? I don't B? know. <laughs> the second was Exhibit B. <laughs> it shouldn't be funny. It should be a little funny. All right. So at this point, she wakes Majima up and leaves to go get him a pillow so that she can uh, massage the front of him, I guess. And then she walks away to get the pillow. And then we hear Makimura enter the office. And they kind of talk to each other in the background. And during this, Majima is sitting on the bench table thingy behind a curtain. And he's kind of like, oh shit, this guy's here. Then Makimura walks back, pulls back the curtain, and sees Majima sitting there. And he immediately knows something is off about him. And at this point, Makimura asks the massage therapist to leave to get him some cigarettes because he needs them for the needle treatment. So she leaves, and now the two of them jump up, ready to fight. Majima comments that Makimura seems pretty used to situations like these. And this is a good indicator that maybe he's not quite the scumbag as described, but he's definitely somewhere in this realm where he knows about sketchy stuff. So they fight, but then they're soon interrupted by lots of footsteps, 
and five Yakuza enter. Neither one of them know who they are. And the Yakuza in charge calls Makimura Wenhai Lee and asks him, where's Makoto Makimura? And then the massage therapist comes back in, and this is when we learn that she is Makoto. Lee tells her to run. They shoot Lee, and Makoto gets grabbed. I think we have to give some credit to Lee for either having fantastic intuitions or thinking that he can take Majima on and then take Makoto back because is he choosing between the lesser of two evils and how does Lee know to trust Majima instead of the bad guys? I think it is like a lesser of two evils at this point. I mean, these guys came in with guns and shot him, so he's definitely not going to trust them as much, but yeah, it's a good point. I think he's desperate and he's just he seems clearly dedicated to helping Makoto. Majima chases after the guys that snatched Makoto and fights them off, but backup is on the way. And during this chase scene, she asks, why is all this happening? So even she doesn't know what's going on. And they get down the stairs and run into the same five Yakuza as before. Majima defeats them and then tries to get some information out of the leader. And all the leader really says is, you don't know anything, you got no clue what she's worth, no clue what you're about to step in. The guy passes out, Majima can't get any more information out of him, so he grabs Makoto's hand again, and they start running through the empty streets until Majima sees a back lot that offers them some cover. So they get back there, they finally stop running, they're both exhausted, Makoto falls to the ground and hugs his leg while starting to cry. But then Majima pulls away and tries to like sh shake her off at first. But then he decides to comfort her. He takes the knife out of his jacket and starts to slide it out of the sheath. And he sees his reflection on the blade. And at this moment, the music changes. It gets dark and ominous. And that's when the scene ends he has to make a decision here but it's also the same lot i know they're in different cities but it's that parallel of starting the first episode we're introduced again the background is in this lot this empty lot and here it ends with this lot hmm. and this is the end of the first phase where the train is about to take off the roller coaster is already heading downwards and it starts with this lot it ends with the lot they look pretty much the same but yeah, it, it starts there and ends there. And I think it gives that nice tie going into the next episode or the next chapter. I love this ending. I love this cliffhanger. I just think it's so well done. She could not be more vulnerable. And Sagawa's question of mm -hmm. can you kill another human being for your own personal gain? I think it's just like it's in Majima's head right now. He's hearing it and he looks at his reflection and yeah, he doesn't know who is looking back at him. Who does he want to have looking back at him? You don't know what he's going to do because we know how committed he is to getting back into the Yakuza. He spent three years being tortured, possibly a year getting his ass slapped. I think it's a fantastic cliffhanger. And then it goes back to Kiryu for two more chapters and you just, you cannot wait to get back to Majima's storyline. And we don't get to see a lot of Majima's expression during the game, but there is some focus on the point where when Makoto is just hugging his leg, he before he looks irritated at her crying, it almost like a look of pity and like he's torn. Is it worth 
sacrificing her for his own gain it's just a lot of uncertainty yeah it is a lot of uncertainty and it's not at all what he was expecting it's not at all what he was prepared for he was told it's a man and he's horrible he beats women he forces them into prostitution this is quite literally the opposite of that that catches him off guard and he's not really sure what to do but he knows if he's gonna do it now is the time i think and that's why he's taking the knife out the next section of conversation i want to focus on is more about majima and makoto are we ready to move on maybe he's just acting without processing like he had to make uh, a decision we've seen in this chapter that majima has been forced to make quick decisions but big quick decisions first in the flashback we see that he went against family orders and made the decision to not abandon Saijima even though that meant him being tortured and then second now we see him make the decision to go after Makoto and help her escape from the other Yakuza but do we know is he actually helping her or is he like does he even know why he's doing this does he want to protect her does he just want his mark so he can get back into the Yakuza I think this is the the self-thinking that he has why he's suspicious of Sagawa and everything. I think he's trying to think for himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think he maybe doesn't really even know what he's doing. Going, like, talking about his just reactions and instincts throughout the escape scene when he's guiding her through the city. It is very protective. And it just seems like we're supposed to feel something there. You know what I mean? I remember watching this and i still insist on it but they look like a this is the beginnings of a like um a meat cute of, of how they are and they can totally see them as a couple i mean the only difference is he's got a knife in his coat and he might kill her but this is the type of thing where you see those um those romance novels of those hitman who is about to kill a mark and falls in love with them <laughs> Dude, those honestly exist they do <laughs> how many have you read kathy tell me <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think I think probably just one or two, not a lot. Anyways, totally side off track, but and this is this is the beginnings of my frustration, and I'll try to pull it back because you know how I feel about Ooh, everything. With, cannot wait yeah. for the finale. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be screaming at each other. I think I think we covered covered it all, but I did say that um, when Makoto was crying, he should have left a turn and gave her a hug. Instead of patting patting her on the head, <laughs> you cannot with me right now. He went from shake trying to shake her off of him to patting her head. I think you can count that as a win. The man yeah, was sent to kill he her. He's very time. confused. He's been running all <laughs> night. He carried her down a flight of stairs. Yeah, I need these writers. <laughs> Obviously, these writers need a female on their team. All right. So my last thing, we've completed. Both introduction chapters for both of the main characters at this point. So I'm just thinking, do we want to look into the similarities and differences between the two characters? I think one of the main ones that I saw is Kiryu is taking control while Majima is being controlled. You know, Kiryu got himself out of the clan. He's working by himself to fix these mistakes and Majima is being controlled by Sagawa being told what to do, being forced and threatened into a hit. Majima's 
also by himself. He can't trust anyone around him. But Kiryu has his own support system. He has Nishiki. And then you also have Kazama's um, right hand man. Kashiwagi. He's eating those awesome cold noodles. Ka yeah, Kashiwagi. That is a good point. He has people in his corner. And Majima doesn't even have a corner. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much it. He has nothing in his own apartment. In his own safe haven. There's nothing in it. He doesn't have a safe haven. He doesn't. Except maybe getting that massage. Yeah, but it, I don't. I don't know. It ended up being a bloody mess where a guy was getting shot <laughs> three times. That's true. Fair point. It did not end well. I think we covered it all. Yeah, I think I think we did. This one was a lot more fun to analyze. But after chapter five, is when it gets insane. I mean, I don't know what to say. You cannot turn back after you pass chapter five. Chapter six has a very big moment that we'll talk about. So the next episode will be chapter five and chapter six. And we haven't been saying this, but we should start. We'll post the gameplay for those two chapters on the YouTube channel.